Father God, we just thank you that we're able to gather here this morning to sing of how beautiful you are. God, sing of the beautiful things that you do for us. And God, sing of your beautiful love. God, that doesn't quit on us. God, that, that takes our sin as far away from us as the east is from the west. God, that message alone is beautiful. But now as we dig into your word, God, we see some beautiful truths in there as well. And we just pray that, God, you might remind us of these old truths. Or maybe we just need to learn something new this morning. Uh, but we just pray that your spirit is present and that he is working powerfully in us and through us this morning, but all throughout our lives. God, we just pray this in the awesome name of Jesus. Amen. Have a seat, please. On his way to school, the boy took out his cell phone and he dialed 911. And the 911 dispatcher picked up the phone and said, 911, what is your emergency? And the boy said, I just want to let you know that today around 3 p.m. at 525 Main Avenue, there's going to be a murder. And the dispatcher said, is that a, is that a threat? Are you going to harm someone? And the boy said, no, but today I get my report card and dad is going to kill me. <laughs> report card day. It was the day where you found out how well you were doing in school. Uh, if if what you were doing was enough. Now, it was a day that some people uh, looked forward to with excitement. It was a day some people uh, were uncertain about. And then it was a day that some people just outright feared. Now, for some people, they looked forward to it because if their marks were good enough, they got rewarded. I knew a, a kid who, whose parents paid him money if his average was above a certain level. And the higher his average was, uh, the more his financial gain. If your marks were mediocre, um, your parents would say, you know what, you've got to try harder. Uh, apply yourself. Be more diligent in your studies. I was bringing home good marks, but even if I had a 99, my dad would be like, bring that up to 100. And it's just like, uh, it, was, it wasn't good enough for him, apparently. But if, if, you're, if you knew that your marks weren't going to be good, if you knew that you most likely were going to fail, if your teacher was writing comments like, your child's been working with too much glue on your report card, it was not a good day to go home. You never looked forward to going to school or back home on that day. And the report card told us how we're doing. Is your work good enough? Is your effort sufficient? Now today we're going to be in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And we see Jesus tells a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And we've talked a lot about the Pharisees in this series in the book of Luke. Uh, but just a reminder, the Pharisees, they studied God's law. They knew God's law. They had studied under the best teachers. And so when the Jewish people looked at the Pharisees, they would say, those guys are at the top of the class. They're bringing home good report cards with God. They are honors students when it comes to being God's grace. So we're going to jump in here, starting at verse 10. Jesus is telling the story. He says, imagine two men walking up a road, going to the temple to pray. One of them is a Pharisee, and the other is a despised tax collector. Once inside the temple, the Pharisee stands up and prays his prayer in honor of himself. 
God, how I thank you that I'm not on the same level as other people. Crooks, cheaters, the sexually immoral, like this tax collector over here. Just look at me. I fast not once, but twice a week, and I faithfully pay my tithes on every penny of my income. And so this Pharisee, in prayer to God, he's listing off his, his spiritual achievements. And he's saying, I pray, I'm faithfully attending the temple. I, I don't steal, cheat, sin sexually. I, I fast. You don't even ask us to fast, God. But, but I fast twice a week. I do beyond other people. Say, I tithe. And he's basically saying to God, look at me. Look at how well I'm doing. Now let's be honest. We, we don't keep a list of this. We don't say it out loud. But we, we do keep a mental tally of how we're doing in some areas, don't we? Things that we think God would be pleased with. And so if we're doing the basics like prayer and Bible reading, we're happy. Maybe we, we keep a record of our worship attendance. Uh, how much we're giving to God or giving above that tithe to God. Memorizing scripture, serving other people, trying to live out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We can kind of keep a list of how we're doing with that. Am I being loving, peaceful, joyful, patient, kind, good, self-controlled? I might have missed one in there. I don't know. <laughs> but then there's those things that we would say only the elite do. Those guys who are at the top of the class would do. And so they're, they're doing uh, daily devotions with their family around the breakfast table. And then they have family prayer time. Or maybe uh, they keep a journal about what God is doing in their life, what God is teaching them through, through prayer and through their quiet time. Maybe you fast and abstain from food and you, as, you, as you pray about major world events or concerns or as a major decision comes up, you take time to fast. Maybe you're one of those people that goes on mission trips to third world countries and helps people. And these are all good things. It's, it's good for us to be doing these things. But the tendency is that the more of them we do, the, the more tempted we are to slip into this position of pride at times. That we become pleased with ourselves. And what this Pharisee is saying is, because I do these things, God, because I'm faithful in these things, he, he's basically thinking our relationship, his and God's relationship, it's not broken, it's not tainted by sin, he thinks it's good and perfect. Basically, he's saying, God, because I do these things, I deserve eternal life. And like the Pharisee, if we're doing the right things, they can become a list of accomplishments in which we look at them and we say, God, look at my good works. Look at how well I'm doing. And so if God were to come to us and say, what are you doing? These are the type of things we might list, that I pray, I tithe, I attend worship regularly, I serve, and the list could go on. But what we can easily do with Scripture, what we can easily do with the Christian walk, is reduce it to a list of do's and don'ts. And we use that to, to judge how we're standing with God. We judge our, our relationship with God based on these things. If we're performing well, we often feel that we'll be rewarded because of our good works. And the better we're doing, the more assured we are that, that God loves me, 
that, that God's going to reward me, that, that heaven is secure. And so we believe that if God was going to give us a heavenly report card, you know what, God might give me an A in Bible reading, and I might get a B in prayer, and a, a, an A minus in, in giving, and well, when it comes to fasting, I will get an F. I love food. Uh, but, but what we're always looking for is our ideal, is that we're going to have a passing average, enough to get into heaven. But we don't always want God to look at us like this Pharisee is doing, do we? Sometimes there, there's moments in our lives where we're not performing well. We know our report will not be pretty. It's actually going to be pretty ugly. And so the tax collector that, that the Pharisee mentioned in his prayer begins to pray. Jesus says in verse 13 of Luke 18, Over in the corner, the tax collector begins to pray, but he won't even lift his eyes to heaven. He pounds his chest in sorrow and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the tax collector is not saying, look at me. Look at all the good things I'm doing. The, the tax collector is, is actually kind of saying, don't look at me, God. It's not pretty. And unlike the Pharisee, the tax collector finds very little within his life to brag about. Because the tax collector uh, cooperates with Rome, he, he collects taxes for Rome, he's believed to be a sinner. Um, it, it, it took a certain type of person to basically betray your countrymen and collect taxes from them for the enemy. Now, tax collectors also had the opportunity to fatten up their wallets a little bit. They, they added more than was required. And so tax collectors were living at this level above most other people. And so it was just generally assumed, you know what, a tax collector, they are a sinner. Much like we assume that many politicians today are corrupt. Now, when I was in grade four, uh, my mom decided that it was too expensive to give haircuts to her three boys. Uh, every three weeks, we had to go to the hairdresser because our hair, it, it grows incredibly fast and incredibly thick. Um, and so my mom was like, it's too expensive. So she went out and she bought a pair of electric clippers. And she decided she was going to give us haircuts. And that meant we got the buzz cut. And so on a Friday night, she took my brothers and I down to the basement and she shaved our heads. And so I was nervous about debuting this new haircut on Monday morning. Because you never know how a new haircut's going to go over, do you? You might get a new nickname. I was afraid they might call me like Broomhead or something like that. So I, I was nervous about that. The next morning, my dad took me to baseball tryouts. And, and so we're doing the drills, and we're in the pop fly drill, which basically means the coach hits the ball up high in the air, and you try and catch it before it hits the ground. So in a game, it's, it's like getting an easy out. And so during this drill, I noticed that my cleat was untied. And so I go over to the side, way over, not near the drill, and I bend down, and I'm tying my cleat. And I hear those words, heads up. And so what do I do? I bring my head up. Bad advice, because as soon as I look up, the ball comes down and smokes me in the eye, and this monster that you'll see on the screen is the result of that. And that's after a few days healing, ice applied and the hair's grown back. And so I've got this monstrous black eye, this new haircut, 
And I don't want to go to school on Monday. I'm pleading with my parents, don't make me go. But they did. And I'm going, I, I want to cover up this black eye. I want, to, I want to cover up this haircut. But there's nothing I can do about it. Now, thankfully, uh, black eye in that point was kind of like a, it was a badge of honor or something like that. Uh, but, but the black eye healed. My, my hair grew back. I grew into my teeth and got braces. Um, and I quit baseball that year and moved on to soccer the next one. But this is what the tax collector is experiencing. His, his sin is like that black eye and the haircut. You can't hide it. It's obvious before God. And so he goes to God and he's saying, he wants to say, don't look at me. But he knows he can't. He, he knows that God sees his heart. God sees his thoughts. God has seen his actions even when other people haven't. And so when he comes to God in prayer, he finds nothing to be proud of. He's, he's basically saying to God, I've got nothing. I'm spiritually bankrupt. I haven't performed well. I failed. I don't get a passing grade. And he's like the guy who would skip 50% of the classes, never turn in an assignment, and when it came to report card day of getting his marks, he knew where he stood. He wasn't going to pass. But the tax collector is broken. He's broken by his sin. And his prayer sounds a lot like King David's prayer of confession after the prophet Nathan came to him, after he'd been caught uh, having an affair with Bathsheba, and she was pregnant, and David tries to cover this up and basically has her husband murdered on the front line. And once David is confronted about this, and he, he's convicted, he pens Psalm 51. And David says this, Look on me with a heart of mercy, O God, according to your generous love. Cover your face so you will not see my sins. And erase my guilt from the record. Have you felt that? Don't look at me, God. Don't look at my poor performance. And when we're not performing well, it leads to this sense of, of hopelessness often, of despair, of fear. We can feel this way simply from just not having done those regular things. We feel guilty of not being in worship regularly sometimes, or of not being in, in prayer or in, in God's Word. But it can also be things that you're, you're addicted to, you're trapped by. Maybe it's something chemical, emotional, some sort of sexual sin. Maybe you're involved in a relationship or an activity that you don't know doesn't honor God. It's not what He calls you to. And so disappointed in your moral performance, maybe you vowed, you said, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. And I've heard people countless times say, I've just got to get back into God's Word. I've just got to get back into worship. I've just got to stop going to that website. And maybe you do well for a bit. But often, it doesn't last that long. You slip up you make a mistake and you're back to square one, feeling insecure, feeling scared in your relationship with God. And so, if you had to summarize your relationship with God, maybe you would choose the word uncertain. Because sometimes you do the right things, but sometimes you don't do the right things. And it's exhausting when your confidence your assurance of heaven or eternal life, when you believe that it exists and how well 
you perform. You feel like you're, you're hovering on that pass or fail line. And that one wrong move could jeopardize everything. It's spiritually, physically, and emotionally draining as you speculate God's love for you based on how well you perform. And there might be days where you can say, look at me, God, look at how well I'm doing. But there's also those days where you say, don't look. It's not pretty. And so in this seesaw battle of, of, of performing well, doing the right things, you find no confidence, no security, no assurance. And we tend to look at guys like this Pharisee and we say, there's a guy who's got it all together. Maybe it's, maybe it's a megachurch pastor. Maybe it's a, a, a Bible professor, a theologian. Maybe it's just an older Christian. And you say, there's a person who can be confident in where they stand with God. But Jesus throws a twist in this story. Jesus finishes the story in verse 14. He says, Now imagine these two men walking back down the road to their homes. Listen, it's the tax collector who walks home clean before God and not the Pharisee. Because whoever lifts himself up will be put down, but whoever takes a humble place will be lifted up. And when I say the word I'm going to say, I'm not saying it to be crude. Humility is not saying, I suck. Humility is not saying, I'm but a meager peasant. I'm, I'm a horrible, horrible person. That is not humility. Humility is simply an appropriate view of oneself. Humility is a self-awareness of what you are or aren't capable of. And so, I humbly admit that I'm never going to win a strongman competition. Because look at me, I'm like a twig. <laughs> or, well, I used to be. Maybe I'm packing on some grams, I don't know. <laughs> but I humbly admit that I'll never be a great artist. I, I can't draw a straight line. And so a humble person knows what they can or can't do. That is humility. A humble person will acknowledge when they need someone else to do what they can't. And so God knows our capabilities. God's, God knows what we can or can't do. And so Paul captures this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 9 to 14. He says, So those now who live by faith are blessed along with Abraham who lived by faith. This is no new doctrine. And that means that anyone who tries to live by his own effort, independent of God, is doomed to failure. Scripture backs this up. Utterly cursed is every person who fails to carry out every day detail written in the book of the law. The obvious impossibility of carrying out such a moral program should make it plain that no one can sustain a relationship with God that way. The person who lives in right relationship with God does it by embracing what God arranges for him. Doing things for God is the opposite of entering into what God does for you. Habakkuk had it right. The person who believes God is set right by God, and that's the real life. Rule-keeping does not naturally evolve into living by faith, but only perpetuates itself into more and more rule-keeping, a fact observed in Scripture. The one who does these things, rule-keeping, continues to live by them. Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. 
he became a curse and at the same time dissolved the curse. And now because of that, the air is clear and we can see that Abraham's blessing is present and available for non-Jews too. We are all able to receive God's life, his spirit in and with us by believing, just the way Abraham received it. And when it comes to attaining eternal life, simply put, our work does not work. But God worked it so that he could look at the work of Christ on the cross and would no longer depend on how we perform. Those who come to say, don't look at my work, look at Jesus, will be lifted up. Because when God looks at that person, he sees Christ's blood poured out in death on the cross for that person. And in essence, Jesus becomes your passing grave. And that's why Jesus can say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. For those of you who are tired, come to me and you will find rest for your souls because it does not depend on your performance. The work that God calls us to do, and there is work that God calls us to do, is not to earn eternal life, but that work is a response. The good things we do for God is a response to God's love for us. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to do those things. And so we read and memorize scripture to know God more. We pray because we want to develop a relationship with our Heavenly Father, just like every other relationship needs communication. God wants to know what is going on in your life. He wants to talk it through with you. We serve others because Jesus modeled it for us. It's how we show other people the love of God. We abstain from certain behaviors, attitudes, and actions because it can hinder or hurt our relationship with God. It does not honor the one who's done so much for us. But everything we do is a response to the love of God, but it does not earn the love of God. John 3.16, it tells us that God loved us so much he sent his son into the world to die for us while we were still sinners. We do these things to love God, to love people, and to serve others. <coughs> in Luke 18.9, we see the reason why Jesus tells this parable. It says this, he told another parable. This one addressed to people who were confident in their self-righteousness and looked down on other people with disgust. Just like Jesus warns the Pharisees, or those people confident in their own works for salvation, ask this question as a warning. Where is your confidence for salvation? Are you trusting in works like giving and good deeds and serving others? to attain a passing grade with God. With these things, are you saying to God, look at my good work. I deserve eternal life. I deserve heaven. If your confidence is in anything or anyone, aside from Jesus Christ, this scripture says you're going to be humbled. You're going to gain an appropriate view of yourself. And you'll find that your work is insufficient to pay for sin. If you already claim Jesus as your Savior, but you believe that I need to supplement His work on the cross with my own good work, you miss the words of Jesus, His, His, own, His final words. It is finished. You can't make something that is finished more finished, especially when God declares it's finished. 
sin has been paid for, and you find that accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is the only thing that we can or need to do to be saved. This summer, Shannon and I took our sunset to, uh, to the beach and to the lake and to the pool a number of times just to go swimming. Now, Seth wasn't very uh, fond of the water initially. He wasn't so, uh, he didn't feel secure around the water. And so he'd start in my arms, and the water would usually be up to my waist. But as we moved deeper and deeper, as the water came up to his ankles and then up to his waist and up to his chest, the, the harder he clung on to me. Uh, he, he dug his little nails into my flesh, and it hurt. <laughs> but Seth was just grabbing on harder and harder because he felt that his security, his safety, not sinking down to the bottom, depended on his strength, on his ability to hold on to me. And I kept telling Seth, Daddy's got you. I'm not going to let you go. You're safe in my arms. When Seth finally realized that it wasn't actually his strength holding him up, he was free to enjoy the water. He had fun. Don't use your works. Don't use your good deeds to say, I'm holding on to God. I'm holding on to, on to salvation with these things. Understand that it's it's God who's holding you up. That it's by Christ's strength you're being held onto, not your own. That you are safe in the arms of Christ. And when you understand that, that's where you're able to enjoy the work that God gives you to do. That's where you're able to find fulfillment in these things. And you understand really why God asks us to do if you're wrestling with the security of your salvation, you've just got questions about that, you've got questions about Jesus, uh, we're always open to talking about that. Uh, you can find me after the service. We'll talk more. We'll figure out what maybe your next step is. But uh, just don't go home. There. Don't continue to wrestle with this. Don't have questions unanswered. Because God does not want to leave you there. Let's pray. Father God, this, this text doesn't really bring anything new for many of us. But God, it is a reminder that it's not by our strength we, we have a relationship with you. It's not by our effort we have eternal life. But God, that it is by your strength, by your work, that all of this is accomplished. So God, I know in my own life I have this tendency to, to work to please you. God, that can easily become something that's sinful and prideful. So God, I just pray that you remind us that that's not what you call us to. God, that you call us to enjoy the works that you want us to do. Father, that we might really experience the freedom that your son spoke of. God, I just thank you for all your blessings. Praise in Jesus' name.